Hey, so glad that you've joined us, and uh, we are in week two of a series going through the letter that Paul writes to Rome. It's the fifth book that Paul writes uh, out of the 13 books that will make up 13 of the 27 New, Te uh, New Testament books. And last week, we really just drilled down on who Paul was and what gives him the authority to speak so powerfully. Besides Jesus Christ, there really is no other man that has made such a spiritual impact on all of humanity, on all of time, than the Apostle Paul. Jesus and the Apostle Paul have made an unreal impact on who we are today and how we understand the gospel. Now, Rome is 16, Romans is 16 chapters, and we are taking a deep dive over the next several months. We're gonna take a couple breaks in the, in the summer, and we'll have a break in October for our annual At The Movies experience, but we are going to be going all through, bit by bit, eating this elephant one bite at a time, and I want you to know that Romans can be a little difficult to read. Romans can be a little, a little hard to kind of understand. Uh, there's a lot of deepness into what Paul is saying. And Paul isn't just writing it out like this. He's actually, he uses his secretary to write it out. And you know that in, in, in uh, chapter 16, he says, I've been writing down everything Paul has been saying. And so Paul's there kind of pacing where he is uh, writing this book. And he's saying it, saying, oh, now no, write this down. And they're feverishly getting everything he's, he's saying, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And so I want to start today by kind of putting the cookies on the bottom shelf. Even though it's hard, it can be difficult to understand and read. Uh, number one, know you're not alone if you, can, if you struggle reading and understanding Romans. Even the apostle Peter, uh, that was the fisherman called by, by Jesus, uh, Peter who denied Christ three times and then was uh, forgiven and launched into ministry and stood on the day of Pentecost and was part of the birth of the church as we know it. Even Peter in Second Peter says it like this, Paul wrote to you with the wisdom God gave him, speaking of these things in all his letters. But Paul, uh, Peter goes on to say, uh, some of his comments are hard to understand. <laughs> like, like, even Peter goes, I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. It can easily be twisted, so we're gonna take it bit by bit. We're, we're, gonna, we're, we're gonna be like a, a rhino in a shoebox. I don't know how we're gonna fit it all in, but we're gonna do it. And so let me start here by giving you a drone shot of what you can expect in this letter to the saints in Rome. It's really five movements in this letter, five chapters really, or, or five segments, so to speak. And Paul is gonna lay out a case for Jesus in these five movements. Do you know that Harvard University was started as a Christian university? So was Yale University. And Harvard, in the first years of Harvard Law School, uh, they had every freshman read the Book of Romans. And they would read the Book of Romans and it was their job to unpack and set up the understanding of how Paul was, was setting a case, making his case almost like he was the Ben Matlock of his day. He was, he was the dong dong, whatever special victims unit was, he was the guy laying it out for him. Paul was this incredible like defense attorney and even prosecuting attorney and judge and he's laying it all out and he shows us this in five movements. The first one is this, Part one, before, after his introduction, there's an introduction and a conclusion, and in between, there's these five movements that Paul gives us. The first one is all about 
sin. Now let me tell you, let me tell you sin. There's a lot of people that have a lot of definitions of what sin is. Let me tell you what it isn't. Sin isn't the act that you committed. Sin is the authority you reject. So sin is not Adam and Eve eating the fruit of the tree. Sin is rejecting the authority of God that said don't eat the fruit. Because when I say I'm gonna eat the fruit anyway, it's not about the fruit, it's about rejecting his authority that I can trust his good word, his good way is enough for me and I can surrender to that. But anytime I say, no, 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 I know you say this is the final say, but I really, I don't know, that, that gossip is just so juicy. Sin can be so attractive at times, like a bug to a blue light, you know? It's like, oh, it's so shiny, it gonna kill you. They're going to kill you. And you're like, no, move away from the light. And he's like, it's so pretty, Harry. Sin is that authority I reject. And so Paul is going to set up the case of, you can write it down, it's the bad news. It's bad news. And this is really why do we need to be saved? We need to be saved because sin is in all of us. Uh, we all have sinned and we all sin and fall short of the glory of God. And what is the answer to this sin? We get it in Movement two, where Paul then gives us salvation, which is, if you're writing it down, the good news. The good news is we don't have to stay in this sin prison. We don't have to stay addicted to self and addicted to rejecting the authority of God in our lives. We can be saved. And the good news is, like, how do I become a child of God? Well, aren't we all children of God, Jeremy? I mean, I'm a child of God, you're a child of God, we're all created by God. Just because you're created by God doesn't necessarily make you a child of God. Uh, how many of you understand that just because you can create a kid doesn't make you a good mom, doesn't make you a good dad? Uh, in fact, you can be a dad of a child, you can be a creator of a child, but don't make you a dad in their life. What makes you a dad in their life is presence and love and attention and faithfulness and investment. And see, God has created all of us. We're his creation. But if you really want him to become your father, if you really want to be a son or a daughter of God, it requires that you allow him to adopt you into his family, to be adopted through salvation into sonship. And when you're a son or a daughter, you, you are an heir to the throne, baby. Like you have got, you are an heir to the inheritance of all of the galaxies of the cosmos because you are a son and daughter of the one true king. How do I become a child of God? That's he'll lay it out in chapters three to chapters five of what salvation is and what salvation isn't and how easily we can get it twisted. Part three, movement three, is this word sanctification. It's not a normal word that you're gonna say just in a normal conversation as you're waiting for your cherry limeade at Sonic. Sanctification usually is one of those words that show up in a small group Bible study or on a Sunday morning service or in some kind of special sermon you might hear. What is sanctification? Well, let me tell you, it's part of our salvation. And, and let me just break it down. Again, my job is, is to not just be heard. If I'm communicating, it means it's making sense and, and you're able to say, oh, okay, I get it. That, that's, the, that's the responsibility of sharing the message today that I have. And really, salvation kind of is in three parts, if you will. The first is justification justified, just as if I'd never sinned, when I am saved from the penalty of sin, when I invite Jesus to be the Lord and Savior of my life, when I say, Jesus, 
I believe you are who you say you are. I am a sinner that needs your grace. I have rejected your authority and I'm tired of being the king of my own heart and standing, sitting on my own throne. I relinquish the kingdom to you. I relinquish the throne to you. Be my savior, be my Lord, be my king. I'm justified now and I'm freed from the penalty that we all have. The wages of sin is death, Paul will write later in Romans chapter three. That's justification, that's part of my salvation. And once I am justified, I'm there, I am saved. And, and nothing can separate me from that love and, and grace of Jesus. Now, the final part of our salvation is what we call glorification. And that's when I'm saved from the very presence of sin. That is when I leave this earth for the, the world I was really created. Do you know that you are not a physical being on a spiritual journey? You are a spiritual being on a temporary physical journey. You are more of a spiritual being than you are a physical being because the physical part of your body is someday gonna fail. The cocoon of this life is gonna crack open and who you are for eternity is gonna bust forth. Who you are really designed to be in full communion with God for eternity. That's glorification where you are free from the very presence because even the very presence of the rejection of the authority of God cannot sit in the presence of Jesus. Now that's important to know because like that means there is a heaven and a hell and hell is real and sin rejecting the authority of God someday if I continue to reject that my, my permanent residence after that is, is hell. Hell is, is not about the fire and the brimstone, it's the very absence of the presence of Jesus. That's what makes hell hell, is there is not a single ounce of goodness, not a single ounce of peace, not a single ounce of rest, not a single ounce of hope, not a single ounce. The truth is, if we want to live on our own authority on this side of eternity. God's not gonna force you to live in his presence on the other side of eternity. That's why we need to understand justification, the glorification, but in the middle, until we get there, guess what we got in the middle? Sanctification. And what sanctification is, is it's saved from the power of sin where I am continually leaning in, not on my own understanding, but acknowledging his ways, leaning, uh, learning his way, surrendering and obeying his way. And that is being freed from the power of sin uh, every day, a little bit at a time that what used to get me bound up because it was so powerful in my life is losing some of its power. I'm telling you, some of you, the power of yesterday's regrets and yesterday's failures, it's got you tied up. But you can, you can experience sanctification from that. You're saved, but you're still bound up in some stuff. You were set free from the penalty of sin, but you still, the power of sin, it's like, oh, even the apostle Paul will write, I do what I don't wanna do. And sometimes I don't do what I know I ought to do. Well, the process of sanctification gives us the power of his spirit to not live by the flesh, but to walk in the spirit. That's what sanctification is. And the question we're gonna ask with that is how do I live out the Christian life? How do I live out those Christ-like character and conduct and convictions? The fourth part of Romans, this letter, is sovereignty of God. 
So we've got sin, salvation, sanctification. Part four is the sovereignty. And this is all about like, how does God wield his supreme power? If you were the most powerful man in the room, if you were the most powerful woman in the world, how would you wield that power? 9, 10, and 11, those chapters really show us how God is all-powerful, he is all-knowing, he is supreme, and he's going to do what he jolly well pleases. <laughs> and we're going to learn about like this experience of why he, because he can in his supreme power, choose the nation of Israel. Like what is so powerful about Israel? What's so powerful about how he operates? And we're going to understand better just his supreme power and how good he is and how right he is with his power. Finally, movement number five will be service. What do we do with all this? Do we just become more knowers? No, God wants us to be not just knowers, he wants us to be doers. I am praying for a church that would be not full of just knowers, but doers. And there are a whole lot of us, including me, that we can be way educated beyond our obedience. And we're looking for another nugget to learn, and we hadn't even done the first three things we learned. God wants us to be doers, not just knowers. In his inaugural address, his vision sermon, Jesus in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount, he says, if you hear all that I'm saying, if you become educated, but you don't become a doer, if you're just a hearer, you are like a guy who builds a house on sand. But if you are a hearer and a doer, you are someone who builds your house on solid foundation. And no matter what rains down on you, that house can be firm. You ain't going to be solid just because you learned another thing or three. You're going to be more solid when you understand how to activate the salvation and the sanctification leaning on the sovereignty of the supreme power of God and then being motivated to operate in the world and not of the world. The question is, how do I just serve God well? How do I serve him well? I'm trying. I'm trying to. I'm trying to serve God. It's hard. I'm trying. And you know what? If you're just trying, can I just give you one slight, let me turn the dial for you. Let me turn the dial for you. It may take off a lot of pressure on you. Stop trying. Stop trying. Start training. Stop trying. I'm trying. I'm trying to run a marathon. I'm training to run a marathon. That means that there are going to be days that I didn't get the miles in. I wish I would have got in. There are going to be days I didn't run as fast as I should have ran. There's going to be days that, man, I was worn out. Why am I feeling so weak today? I'm not just trying, I'm training. Part of training is you're gonna have to go through some ups and some downs, but I'm training and I, I am ready to go. How do I serve God? Well, how do I train to serve him well? That is the overview, the drone shot of what we're gonna be unpacking bit by bit, inch by inch. And like my professor back in the day in my master's program said, he's from, he's from North Carolina, he said, Jeremiah, inch by inch. Everything's a cinch. Yard by yard, everything's hard. So if you want to read Romans all in one setting, I'm just going to tell you, yard by yard, Romans is hard. Inch by inch. You get it. We started last week with just the very first chapter, the very first verse. 
Romans chapter one. We're now gonna go verse one through 16 today. We're gonna unpack some really good news. Some good news today. How many of you want some good news? You want some good news today? I'm gonna give you some good news today. So starting right here again, Paul. We, last week, we talked about how he was living a legacy. We need to know who's writing this letter empowered by the Spirit so we can have a better understanding of what he's meaning in his context and his perspective of certain things because of what he's been through and who he is and what he's done and who God is creating him to be along the way. He started as a terrorist against Christians who then now has a radical encounter with Jesus on a road to kill more Christians, and his life is turned around, and now he is a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be a leader, an apostle, a leader, and set apart like I am dedicating myself to the gospel of God. Now, that word gospel is thrown around a lot. What's the gospel? We got, we got uh, southern gospel. We got black gospel. We got all fly away, oh glory. We got gospel uh, preaching. We got gospel camp meeting. What does even the gospel mean? Well, let me start with this, that the foundational message of the entire letter to Romans, if you don't get, you're not gonna get it if you don't see that this is the whole deal. This is the bullseye, the kitten caboodle. The foundational message of the letter to Rome is the gospel. That, that is the, the story that Paul is laying out. And for us to understand that, it's not just like the Bible or the gospel isn't just Jesus. It, it, like, what does it really mean when we say that? Well, in our language, the word gospel simply means good news. Gospel means good news. And he wants to unpack the good news to Rome. So the question that I have for you, okay, and I wanna pause by saying, if you are here and you're investigating the claims of Christ at one of our locations, you've not crossed the line of faith, we're glad you're here. Uh, you, you, we want this to be a place, you you, we want you in this room. We want you in one of our rooms. And we want you to investigate, kick the tires on Christianity. We have a whole lot of, of uh, Christians that are, that are parrots these days. In other words, they go, what? the Bible said it, I believe it. Do you know why? Because they were raised by parents that were parrots. That their parents said, that's the Bible, I believe it, that settles it. So they grew up saying, what? And so you grow up, guess what parrots give birth to? They don't give birth to full-grown puppies. They give birth to parrots. And if we're not careful, we begin to parrot the gospel instead of truly understanding the gospel, knowing the power of the good news. We might even be able to say it, but my challenge would, would be for you, if I were to ask you to write out what is the gospel in the next 30 seconds, what would you write? And if this is so critically important to our foundation as Christ followers, and if that kind of gets you a little, uh-oh, what, <laughs> uh-oh, then awesome, no condemnation. That's what we're here for today. We're here to clarify. We're here to clear it up. We're here to make it simple and easy to understand because it's good, good news. So Paul says it like this, the gospel of God, and here he begins to unpack it. He says, the gospel is what he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scripture. It's a promise. It's not a feeling. It's not just a theology. It's a promise. 
something that you can take to the bank. It's something that's been given to you and given to me. It's a promise. He also goes on to say, and it's not about a philosophy, and it's not about a church denomination, and it's not about a certain way we walk and talk. Actually, this promise is really regarding his son. It's not about a philosophy. It's about a person. It's about a person who was his earthly life was a descendant of David, so he was a man, but who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the son of God, so he's also divine, because in that power, his resurrection from the dead, he rose from the dead. Who are we talking about? We're talking about Jesus Christ. That's the person that gave the promise that has the power that's still alive, and that through him, we receive grace and apostleship. For what? To all the Gentiles. So everybody, you don't even have to be a Jew, it's to anybody, to all the Gentiles, to the obedience that comes from faith in his name. And it's not just who he's talking to at Rome. He says, you also are among those Gentiles. He's talking to Rome, but he's really setting a pace for you and for me. It's all, it's all of us. The gospel, the good news is for all of us. So now let me take those scriptures and let's, let's get the high points of those and I'm gonna help you define the gospel. What is the gospel? Here we go. Based on what Paul just said, here's the gospel. It's a promise and it's from a person. It's from a person who is truly God and truly man. 100% God, 100% man. His name is Jesus. And he is alive and he's all powerful. And so it's not just a promise from a good guy that did a lot of good things. He rose from the dead. He's powerful. He's a deity. He's God of the cosmos. And you can lean on his promises. And he never breaks a promise. And he's never been slow on a promise. And he's never been too fast on a promise. He is always on time. His track record is 100%. Have you ever made a promise and had to break it and you hated it? I've made a promise that I've broken. I've made promises that I've broken. Jesus has never broken a promise. And it's from him, it's a, he's alive and all powerful and here is the activation of it. He's offering you in this promise, grace and identity. That you can receive, that you don't have to get that promise by doing a lot of good works. But it's grace because he was perfect and he is who he is. Because you are who you are, you get grace and you get identity. Can I tell you what the three most important questions all of us are usually asking? Who am I? Who loves me? Why am I here? You look in the mirror, some of you, you don't know who you are. Who you repeat, who you think you are is not who you are. Because what you're, what you're doing is you're repeating what that person has always said about you and now you're seeing yourself in the mirror and you don't even really know who you are. But you think you are what they said you are. Or they think, you think you are what those negative things or what was done to you or that wound or that addiction or that situation or that regret. Who am I? You're someone who has identity in him. But he gets to choose your identity. He's the one that gets to choose. He also gives you grace that covers. There's an acronym for grace that's used in, in church worlds, and it's G-R-A-C-E, and it's not in your notes, but you can write it down. It's God's riches at Christ's expense. All of the riches of God that you couldn't pay for, you couldn't earn at his expense on the cross. 
to get his riches and his goodness. So it's a promise of a person who's alive, offering me grace and identity of who I am and who loves me, and it's to anyone who believes. It's to anyone. You're not too far gone to receive the good news of the gospel of Jesus. He says, to all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. You and I need to understand Rome today. Rome, here's what's crazy. I mean, you won't even believe it. You won't even believe the kind of atmosphere in Rome. Okay, back in the day, Rome, they were, they were like so focused on uh, like sex and money and like power and political. There was all kinds of political uprisings and crazy. Last five people had been assassinated in office and like, like it was just nuts. Political nightmares everywhere debauchery, drunkenness, all kinds of craziness. If you want to do this, you do that. You want to dress up like a bird, dress up like a bird. You, like, like literally, you want to exchange natural things for unnatural things, you go ahead and do it. When in Rome, do as the Romans do is the tagline. When in Rome, baby. Like what happens in Rome or what happened, it is Vegas. It's Vegas. Now, tell me another culture that might struggle with sex and power and money. It's the original PMS, power, money, sex. It's right there. Causes all kinds of headaches and all kinds of stuff. I'm gonna stop. I think my wife just gave me a signal like, easy. To all in Rome, so here's the deal. You cannot bubble wrap your kids. They're in Rome. They're in Rome. And when in Rome, you are called to be a saint. When in Rome, you are called to follow the convictions, character, and conduct of Christ, not just follow the crowd. It's not going to be popular. It's going to, I'm telling you, it's going to be harder and harder to stand on the promises of God in a culture that doesn't want to listen to you, that thinks you're a bigot, that thinks you're, a, uh, that thinks you're phobic, that thinks you are this and that and the other and is so quick to want to cancel you just because you want to stand and be called to be a saint in the middle of dark times. But God's got good news for you that you're under a promise that they can never give you, a person that they can never fulfill in you like he can, a grace and an identity that no one else. My wife can't give me the kind of grace and identity that Jesus gives me. So many people get rushed to get to the marriage because their identity is being a husband or a wife. And God, before he's ever called you to be a spouse, he's called you to be a son or a daughter. He's called you to be in him first. So when we can get that right, then we can be in Rome and we can't be bubble wrapping our kids. Like they're going to be exposed. They're going to have stuff. Stuff's going to happen. There's going to be exposure. Now with social media, it's at every single corner in their pocket. Well, you used to have to drive a little bit of ways to a certain gas station to get images. You just, you just search for three seconds and a 12-year-old in their pocket can let anybody in Rome tell them what identity looks like. 
Paul says to all in Rome who are not called to just be in Rome. You're called to be saints. And when we say saint, we can think of perfect, per- it just means someone who's following Jesus. You are called to follow Jesus in a culture that doesn't. So the rest of the time we have, what does living for Christ in a culture that doesn't, what does that like look like starting now? I don't mean this is good idea like I've done, like, hey, you know what, next month, Next Monday, I'm going to start that new diet. Next Monday, I'm going to start. Oh, you know what? When I get my finances in order, then I'm going to start that new thing. When I finally get my schedule worked out, then I'll go back to the gym. I'm going to do it. Like, eventually, I'll get there. <laughs> uh, what day is that? That's, that's the day in the week called someday. And that's in the month called Neverary. <laughs> Neverary 33rd is when we do that. And living for Christ in a culture that doesn't needs to actually start. You can, every single thing I say from now on is going to come right from Paul's example and you can do it now. Like not, not now, now. Like not, right, right now, you can choose to walk out of this place starting now, living for Christ in a culture that doesn't. These are just three of the things you can start right now, like today. Here we go. First. Notice what Paul does. The very first thing that he calls Rome to be called to be saints, he doesn't say, first, I want to tell you about how terrible you are. My goodness sakes. Y'all a bunch of heathens up in there doing this and that and whatever. I can't believe it. No, he says, first, I want to do this. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is being reported all over the world. He starts with thanking There's something powerful about starting every single day giving thanks to God. Do you start the day putting your feet on the floor saying, good morning, God? Or do you start by saying, good God, it's morning. (laughs) There's something about choosing your focus. There's something about ratcheting up your gratefulness and your thankfulness. And I just think, I want to start by saying your faith is being reported all over the world. They were already strong, but they still needed guidance. Hey, if if you had a characteristic that was reported all over the world, what would it be? Not what you would want it to be. (laughs) What would it be? Some kind of attitude when people are around you and what leaks out, you know? What would be reported all over the all over the social media about you. (laughs) He says, your faith. I'm hearing it all the way over here. You guys are strong in the middle of a crazy culture. Do you know what Paul does that we have lost the art of doing? It's very hard unless you are strategic with it. Number one, here's what Paul does that you can start doing today. Look for the good God is doing. You ain't smart when you can point out something that's not right. Some people believe it is their spiritual gift to point out stuff in other people. You know what we call them? Anonymous poster on what's happening, Nacogdoches, what's happening, Angelina. Anybody can leave a star review, five star, one star, no star review. 
What does it look like to be the kind of person that looks for the good God is doing? Here's the challenge. You and I, we are quickly attracted to the bad news. The whole message of Romans is the good news. And you and I are like drawn in like the bug to the bug zapper on bad news. You never see traffic slow down for something good. But traffic every single time will slow down like there's a wreck. Slow down. Bad news. Let's see what we can see for miles the highway gets jammed up because we just are attracted. The news cycle, the normal good stuff just doesn't sell. It's the bad crap that we're addicted to. I mean, it's, it, it, you can even say like we, we are more attracted many times until we change our habits. I'm a more attracted to zebra cakes than carrots. I am. I mean, little Debbie... She started as little Debbie. <laughs> now she's just Debbie. <laughs> she's on her way to Big Debbie. We're, going, we're calling her Big Deborah now, okay? <laughs> what? <laughs> Second service is always more inspired by the Holy Spirit. I, I just, it's, we're quickly attracted. Can I tell you something? A critical and negative spirit is not the Holy Spirit. If you are consistently being negative and critical, there are spaces and areas in your life that are not being surrendered to the Holy Spirit in your life. Well, that's just the way I am. I'm just hardwired that way. Okay, yeah, we're all hardwired to be wrong. <laughs> that's why we need the Holy Spirit to rewire, to be transformed by changing the way we Think. And you know, one of the ways to change the way you think is start talking in the right way. Start looking for the right things. Look for the good God is doing. Start speaking. Say, look, anybody can point out the negatives in your kids and in my kids. Speak to the positive. Speak to the potential. See, see it and say it. It's not enough. I see it. I see it. But to say it potential in you you know that gossip I, I've never I've never seen a gossip that what they're gossiping about is all positive stuff he's like have you heard about Whitney the campus pastor's wife of the Lufkin campus she is don't don't tell her I said this but she is like really generous <laughs> like that's not what people gossip about you know she's really okay I mean like kind <laughs> No, people just love. Why? Because we're attracted to bad news. We're attracted to gossip. Stop it. Stop it. Stop being the gossip. Stop looking for the gossip. It is not going to help you in that job. It is not going to help you in your heart. It is going to hurt you. That's why it is a sin because you are rejecting the authority of God to let him be the one who gives someone identity because, you're, because when you gossip, you are putting identity on someone else, whether it's their identity or not, and you're rejecting the authority of God and it's sin. Simple enough. Simple enough. That's the gospel. So here's what you should ask. You know, we're hardwired to say, oh man, what's the worst that could happen? We are wired for guardrails, and that's okay. Fear is like a fence. 
Fear is like a fence. It, it can keep you from falling off to your death. That's good. We need a healthy amount of fear, okay? But fear is also, you know what else it's like? Like a fence. It can actually keep you out from what God has for you. And we can let that become something that's a negative attribute. So instead of asking what's the worst that could happen, what if we started saying what's the best that could happen? What's the best that could happen? I'm not talking about walking around with just rose-colored glasses and everything's like the, the cup runneth over on all the stuff and hunky-dory and I'm gonna la, 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 not be aware of reality. Okay, I'm not talking about a prosperity name it, claim it gospel. It's okay to be real with stuff. When we're sick, it's okay to be sick. And to say you're sick, it's also okay to be say, say, but God's got this and I can trust him and I'm believing he's healing me even as I say this. And just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were thrown into a fiery furnace. They said, God's gonna deliver us from this. They had faith. But you know what else they said? But even if he doesn't, he's still God. Even if he doesn't, he's still God. They were real with it. Ask yourself, what's the best that could happen? What's the best that could happen? Now he goes on to say, I long to see you, those saints in Rome, so I can impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. He also says, that is that you and I may be mutually encouraged. Everybody, every location say mutually encouraged, mutually encouraged by each other's faith. So number two, surround myself with people who encourage my faith. You wanna activate the good news? You wanna live in a, in a culture that doesn't live for Christ? Surround yourself with people that will encourage your faith. And it's a mutual encouragement. Paul was looking to be encouraged by them, not just think that he was God's gift to them. He needed their encouragement. Listen to me. Listen to me. I need your encouragement. I think that you need the Holy Spirit's encouragement, and the Holy Spirit will use me on occasion to give you that Holy Spirit-empowered encouragement. But I need your encouragement, too. You encourage me. You know, the people around you, you encourage one another with your faith. When you lean in and sing a song in worship, it's encouraging someone else's faith. You know, as a husband and wife, you come in and we say, hey, let's pray. And someone's behind you and they may see you grab the hand of your spouse and lean in and pray. And that couple may be going through hell. And that might be the one indication that might, that might be the one moment that God, not even in the sermon, but just by seeing you lean into your spouse. In that moment of trust and surrender, they say, oh, that's, God, that's what you want. That's what you want with us. And God can use you to encourage someone else. You may not even know how you encourage, just by a smile, everybody just smile. Every, every location, just smile, just smile. It's amazing what you can say when you smile. I'll tell my 14-year-old son, <laughs> Buddy, I'm gonna beat you senseless. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> How many times do I gotta tell you? No, like it's amazing what happens in your body and what happens to other people when you just smile. Surround myself with people that encourage, like showing up is a faith builder for you and for them. Showing up to church, showing up in that group, gathering together. This is why we're launching Tables of 10 in groups. They're live today on the website. You can scan the QR code. Like, well, let's show up. Let's encourage one another in our faith. There's all kinds of people that will show up in your life that want to enlarge a problem, enlarge a curse, enlarge the criticism, enlarge the gossip. So you got to be intentional with showing up with people that will enlarge a blessing and enlarge the trust and enlarge the good news of a good God who's got good promises for those of you who can believe in his grace and identity for your life.
Number three. Let me rush through the rest of this and give it to you. Number three, let's get biblically built. Like, yeah, bro. Let's get swole on scripture. Where people look at you and they say, did you call the plumber? Because your spiritual pipes are about to burst. Did you get, did you get a license? Because you're carrying some secret weapons. Biblically. Spiritually. How big was that spiritual pizza you're sharing with me? I'm sorry, what? Let's get biblically built. Some of you, you are so built on all the next greatest stuff. And that's okay. That's okay. Hobbies, fun, work. Be the best at what you do. Be the best you you can be. Let's get built biblically. Let's get built. We've got some malnourishment in our lives. When any time we choose the Roman way instead of God's way. Let's get biblically built. Look what Paul says. He says, I can't wait to see you. I want to impart to you some spiritual gift to make you what? Strong. Not just make you aware, not just make you smart and whatnot, but to make you strong. You are going to need strength to live for Christ in a culture that doesn't. And notice that he says some spiritual gift. It's not up to Paul to decide what spiritual gift you get. It's God that is the giver of spiritual gifts. He's the one is the gift giver. You just show up. Now, here's what I believe is happening every time we gather together in a small group, every time we gather together on a first Wednesday, every time we gather together and your kids are in there and your TC, your youth are at TC Youth and you're here at one of our locations, some spiritual gift is being given. Some spiritual gift. And that's, what's the, that's the beauty of the Holy Spirit. He knows exactly what gift you need. So I can preach a message, but the gift you're going to get may not even be a message that I'm preaching it's a message you receive from the Holy Spirit. It's a gift he gave you by just showing up and seeing someone else. Someone else prayed with you. Someone else saw you. Someone else that you said, oh, you go, you go to this church. I'm not alone. This church is big, but I've got a friend that goes here. That there's some spiritual gift. So let's take this journey through Romans. Let's get swole spiritually. But let's also, let me, tell, let me encourage you, let's also stay Stay personally fat. You know, I want to tell you, as I look around this audience, I see some of you, and you're fat. <laughs> you're fat. Some of you are, honestly, you are very fat. And there's, there's others of you that you're not fat at all. And it, it, it'd be good for you to, to get fat. What is fat? F-A-T. Flexible, approachable, teachable. Flexible, approachable, teachable. Blessed are the flexible, for they will not be bent out of shape. That's not in the Bible, but when you say blessed are, it sounds like it is. But some of you are so inflexible. Some of you are unapproachable. People have to walk around eggshells with you. Some of you, you could just, it could be great if you would learn the spiritual gift of being taught something. But you got all the answers. You can't be taught anymore. 
And y'all, you, you might even be biblically built, but you ain't, you ain't fat. You ain't flexible, approachable, teachable. You're so built, you can't even do anything with it. So you got to stay flexible and approachable, teachable. As a church, we're going to be biblically built. But we're going to reach people in life that have built their entire life on sand. Their entire life. And some of you are here. And I can shift into that sometimes where I start building on attitudes and actions that are sandy. I want to tell you, 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 you've got to figure it out. A life that's not built on the foundation of the word of God and, and a personal relationship with Jesus. You're going to miss it. But see, we can be very flexible and approachable and teachable when we let Rome tell us what to learn, and tell us how we should live, tell us how we should behave. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. I want you to be flexible, approachable, and teachable, but it has to be on a foundation that is biblical so that I can stand on what, what God says, but also have a conversation with somebody that doesn't believe the same as I believe. A personal conversation I, I had just the other day with a friend who lives a a lifestyle that um, when I go to the word of God is counter biblical to what the word says. But we're laughing together, we're talking together, we're challenging each other, and we're gonna see each other again. For so long, the church was so, had so much conviction, we, we lacked any kind of compassion but now the tables have kind of turned in Rome where now we've kind of turned the table to so much compassion that we've lost our conviction. When it comes to things of sexuality, um, I, 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 I talk about um, opposite sex attraction, same sex attraction, uh, sex outside of marriage, uh, any kind of sexuality that, that leans into our identity and who we are and what God says about it. Like all of a sudden, the church is playing catch up because it's almost like starting the baseball game 14 to nothing. Nobody wants to start a, a, a baseball game 14 to nothing. But because we couldn't figure out how to balance conviction and compassion, we just kind of swung the conviction hammer without any compassion. And now we're having to try and figure out how, how do we course correct. Some, some are just not gonna course correct at all and we're just gonna go the way of whatever when in Rome do as Rome does. But if you really wanna be biblically built, you have to be flexible, approachable, and teachable enough to just have a conversation about what does the Bible really say about anything and everything. And can we really surrender to it? That's what being fat is all about. I don't want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I planned many times to come to you, but I've, never, but I've been prevented from doing so. He was flexible. He wasn't able to reach in and do what he was doing. But nevertheless, as we wrap up today, I am obligated. 
Even though I haven't been able to get to you, I'm obligated, like I've got this conviction, I've got to get to you and give you this good news. If I had the cure for cancer and I kept it to myself, what would that mean? And Paul says, I've got the cure. I've got the cure to the greatest disease that is a guaranteed killer and it's sin. And I'm obligated to not just my Jewish people, I'm obligated to the whole world, to all the Greek, the wise, the foolish, you name it. I'm obligated. He said, and not only am I obligated, I'm not going to do it out of just obligation. I'm eager. I can't wait. I want this. I want to preach this good news to you in Rome because I know, I know how good it is. Now, why is he so eager and why is he so obligated? Even though at this time, Paul has been imprisoned in Philippi, chased out of Thessalonica, smuggled out of Berea. He's laughed out of Athens. He's shipwrecked three times. He's beaten five times within an inch of his life. He's stoned two times, and I don't mean Colorado. (laughs) And all of that, he's still eager and he's still obligated And you and me, you and me in this Rome, write it down. If things don't go our way, we lose our mind. The light turns green and we can't wait four seconds until we're honking the horn at the person in front of us. Am I right? Oh, I'm preaching now. So quick to get upset. So quick to be bent out of shape. So quick to cower and hide and just kind of be, oh, I don't know anymore. And and sometimes for stupid reasons and sometimes for good reasons. Understandable reasons. We lose our mind on stuff. If If things don't go our way, if people don't see our way, we lose our mind. How in the world could you vote for that party? How in the world could you vote for that part? How can you even say you're a Christian and be on that side of the aisle? And if people don't see our way, we lose our ever-loving mind and we lose our influence with them. Don't give up your influence to win an argument. Use your influence to win people to the good news. And Paul says, I am obligated and I am eager. And let me tell you another I am of Paul. I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why is he not ashamed of the gospel? What is it? I am not ashamed that there's a promise given by a person who is truly God and truly man, who is alive and all powerful and paid the most awesome debt for me that I could not pay. And he has offered me grace and he's given me true identity if I'll just walk in it. And it's for anyone, even me, even you and all who are far off. I'm not ashamed of that gospel. You know why I'm not ashamed of that gospel? Because that's the power of God that brings salvation. It's not your works that will bring you to salvation. It is not how high you can raise your hands, how loud you can sing the worship song, how much you give in the offering. There are ways we serve God. There's ways we honor God. There's ways we surrender to God. But you won't know salvation until you understand there's so much power in the good news that you couldn't pay for your salvation. He paid for it. And he's a He's not a God that is twisted by emotion. He's pure, 100% truth and 100% grace. 
He says, I'm not ashamed of that. And you know what ashamed means? If I'm ashamed, it means I cover up. I'm not gonna cover this thing up, he says. Adam and Eve, they were naked and they felt no shame. They didn't have to, they were vulnerable and innocent before God and each other. But when sin happened, when they rejected the authority of God, the first thing they did, cover themselves. Why? Because they were ashamed. Friends, you don't need to cover yourself. It's gonna be hard. Paul will later die once he gets to Rome. And there in a prison in Rome, will write his final thoughts to his protege, Timothy. They will unlock the chains and unlock the door to his prison cell. They will lead him out in front of a crowd and lay his head on a stump. And they will take his life. And all because he couldn't wait to get there. Because he had good news. Good news. Friends, let me give you a warning. Let me give you a little hope. You keep losing your mind. You keep losing your mind on stuff. You'll end up losing your way. That's why we're transformed by the renewing of our mind. And maybe you're here today. Listen, listen. Maybe you're here today. If you've lost your way, do you know what it means to lose your mind? If, you, if someone is lost, you know what we call them? Lost. <laughs> do you know what they need? They need to be saved. They need to be rescued from being lost. If you've lost your way. There's good news. The promise is still out there. It ain't even out there. It's right here. The good news is for you. All locations, would you close your eyes, bow your heads, and let's pray. Right now, Jesus is doing work with you. You're at the intersection of opportunity in this moment. God's been speaking to you. He's inviting you to step off the throne of your life. He's not demanding it. He's offering it. He has a promise that if you let him on the throne, you believe he is who he says he is, life won't be perfect. It rains on Christians and non-Christians, but you're never alone. You'll have all the grace you need. You know who you are, who loves you, and why you're here. If that's you, and for the first time, you need to invite Jesus to be on the throne of your heart, to be your savior, or maybe it's time to recommit that today. If that's you at all of our locations right now, unashamed, just put a hand up and then you can put it right down. Put a hand up and you can put it right down. Thank you. Here at the broadcast location, hands going up, hands still going up. God sees you. It's not about your pastor seeing you. Jesus sees you. Even if you didn't raise your hand, but you know that's where your heart is, he knows. He's not mad at you. He loves you. In your own words, you'd simply say, Jesus, I want to step off the throne of my heart. Be the Lord and the Savior of my life. Thank you for giving me this chance to make things right with you. Your, your riches at your son's expense, God, giving me grace, I need it. I need grace. I need it today.
So I confess you are the Lord of my life. I believe you are who you say you are. Fully God, fully man, died on a cross for me and rose again. Help me to live for you now, one day at a time. As we continue to pray, you're a saint. You're already following. You're not perfect, but you're following. But you know, I, I need to build some of that eagerness again, some of that unashamedness, some, some of that leaning on the good news of who he is and what he's done. That's you. Would you lift a hand and I want to pray over you today. Yeah. Me too, everybody. Me too. Father, thank you that you meet us in the middle of us. That you left heaven and took on earth. You suffered like we would suffer. You had struggles like we would struggle. You had family challenges like we have family challenges. You conquered it all. You overcame it all. You lived sinless because we will not. So that's why we can lean on your grace and your goodness and your perfection. And I pray that we would walk out this room starting now like today, living for you. And when in Rome, as the Romans do, the Romans stuff that Romans do, we would have a higher purpose and a higher calling and a better answer and a stronger God because we know who we are and who loves us, what we're called to do. We ask it in your precious name. Everybody said amen.